Jewish women are uplifting weightlifting. Israel welcomes its 74,000th immigrant. And tips on how to be a better mother-in-law. You might want to skip the chocolate. This is the Weekly Squeeze with Hanaleh. Hey, y'all. Good to be here. And by here, I mean in my studio, Beit Shemesh. Beautiful view. Weather is great. It's that time of year. It's spring. Israel is springing. Flowers are blooming. Everything is blossoming. And it is a pleasure to behold. I truly hope that if you want to move to Israel, this can happen for you. Now, I did not plan on making Aliyah. It wasn't a long-term agenda. It was just a spur-of-the-moment, random, spontaneous idea. I was like, hey, husband, do you want to move to Israel? And he was like, hey, wife, maybe you should change your medication. (laughs) No, but seriously, it was totally out of the blue. And I figured, okay, well, we'll see what the process is. I went on Nefesh Benefesh's website, and I saw that there are approximately 5,822 steps to get from my house in Miami to Israel. Now, I don't mean walking from Florida. That actually is a shorter distance to get to Israel <laughs> if you wanted to walk. But to register for Aliyah through Nefesh Benefesh, is a long process. Now, not because Nefesh Benefesh isn't awesome and they're not there to help you every step of the way. It's just that before you make Aliyah, you think that your life is in order. And then you start filling out these forms and applying for different documents and you realize that none of your documents actually mean anything. You actually need a letter from your doctor who has retired 10 years ago claiming that he personally delivered your children so Israel doesn't think that you are bringing someone else's children to Israel on your Aliyah, which is actually quite confounding because why would you bring someone else's kids to another country? It's one thing if you would bring them to America and drop them off and then come back to Israel and enjoy your life, but you're going to make Aliyah and schlep someone else's kids? Like, it should be obvious that's not your intention, but no, you need a letter from your doctor and a million other things. But fine, that's the process. I got very friendly with every single agency across the Middle East and America while I was applying for Aliyah, and once I was accepted, there were only 4,000 other small steps for us to take in order to get there. I followed those steps, and my 4,000th step had me here, arriving in Israel, kissing the floor after 12 years of not being here, and it was all worthwhile. I actually went to a Nefesh Benefesh breakfast a few months ago, and they gave me a beautiful swag bag, which had all kinds of fun stuff in it, and I was just like, why are you guys giving me more stuff? You did me a favor last I checked, so... Yeah, if you want to make Aliyah, Nefesh Benefesh are your people, and they are celebrating. Now, I don't know how they pull this off or if this is a gimmick, but we're just going to go with it. Nefesh Benefesh welcomes its 74,000th new immigrant ahead of its 74th birthday. So this year, Israel celebrates 74 years of independence and welcomes Charlie Smith, a young father, the 74,000th new immigrant with his wife, and they posted a cute picture of them and their daughter smiling outside of their gorgeous new building. By the way, if you haven't seen Nefesh Benefesh's new digs, it's right behind Cinema City. So you can go to a movie, then make Aliyah, then go back to the mall and ask them why they charged you twice as much for the burger an hour ago. <laughs> it's all very exciting. Congratulations to Nefesh Benefesh and Charlie and Shaked Smith, which is now Smit, now that you live in Israel. We wish you tremendous atzlacha in your Aliyah. That's right. 
Okay, before we jump into the most amazing stories this week, I just want to tell you about daily giving. Daily giving is exactly what it says it is. It is daily giving. So instead of fumbling through your purse and looking for a dollar, looking for a quarter, or looking for your credit card because something you saw online triggered your emotions and you really want to donate to a cause, you can just rest assured that you covered your bases by signing up for daily giving. So they will give a dollar on your behalf to every single organization that you love every single day. You can do it in merit of a grandparent, a parent, a child, and every single day you'll get an email telling you where your contribution went. It's basically a giant virtual tzedakah box. And by the way, this is not a tzedakah organization where people are making money. I know the people personally who are on the daily giving team and every single one of them is a volunteer who does it from the goodness of their heart because they have a vision, a vision where every single Jew will give $1 a day and fulfill the mitzvah tzedakah and a mitzvah shem with that tzchus, Mashiach will come. So sign up for dailygiving.org slash the weekly squeeze so that they know we, as an I, sent you. Okay, I absolutely love the next story and I was thrilled to see it. So first let me tell you about my personal experience with weightlifting. Up until recently, I had none. So I'm one of those lucky women who are married to a Sephardi, and he allows me to carry in the grocery bags so that I can work on my muscles. And you know the drill. It's such a shtick that you want to carry all the bags into the house at the same time because you should make a second trip. It is so much easier to carry all the bags at once, burning and digging through your fingers so that you feel like, wow, I've accomplished something, which is absolutely nothing at all except saving yourself a membership at CrossFit. I I just want to interject here before I create problems for myself. My husband actually carries all the bags. He's a true gentleman, and he's much, much, much stronger than I am. That's right. Anyways, a friend reached out to me, and she said, CrossFit's opening here in Beit Shemesh. Do you want to join? It's an all-women's group. Now, I have a sister who did CrossFit, and she loved it. I remember her running around the block like a Meshuggah now, and I was like, hey, I want to run around the block like a Meshuggah and get all fit and be in CrossFit and be strong and everything. So I signed up for CrossFit. Now, it started amazing. I loved it. I was pounding those weights. I got into the gym and I was like, I am going to show you what I am made of. Fast forward a month and every single bone, limb, muscle, and joint in my body was either twisted, sprained, broken, or just jammed. (laughs) So that was the end of my relationship with CrossFit. But I will say I did learn a thing or two about trying to push yourself to the limits. And it was very, very satisfying to finally be able to jerk up those weights without falling backwards, which I did the first six times. I tried to lift more than 20 pounds. It's a process. Okay, back to the story. Women Who Lift Israel, that is a community in Israel founded by Sarah Iluz, a 40-year-old Montreal native turned Israeli who created a community of women that has 2,000 members, okay, of talented and passionate religious women who have made powerlifting a part of their lives. What is powerlifting? Basically, lifting very heavy weights and not hurting yourself in the process, something that I could not manage to do, but if you follow the process, you will get there. You can be a religious woman, yes, in a skirt, competing professionally. So on May 27th, there's actually going to be a competition where women from all over Israel are going to compete in Israel's first ever female powerlifting competition sponsored by sporting goods distributor Salzport, which could have sponsored this podcast had I reached out to them, which I didn't. <laughs> now, not only are Jewish women competing, there's actually a Druzy woman, Hannah Halabi, from the village of Daliat El Carmel. And she says that this women-only competition is an opportunity and an inspiration for women of all backgrounds to know their strengths without the fear or worries of men beating them. I mean, being around, judging them. (laughs) 
And while women might be concerned that weightlifting will make them look masculine, Halaby is quoted as saying, it will actually make you feel like a queen conquering a new world with a smile and insane energy. Bringing the field of sports to the village, she says, has upgraded the lives of women and men in our village. So there you have it, folks. The wait for the story is over. <laughs> I could resist. I know it's an awful pun. But still, it's my podcast. I can make awful puns and you're just going to have to listen to them. That's right. Okay, so today is Yom HaShoah here in Israel and around the world. So I thought this was a fitting story to share, even though I personally never watched Schindler's List. Apparently, people felt that Schindler's face would look great on a pair of leggings. The leggings in question were spotted at a Los Angeles thrift shop and their illustrations of characters from Steven Spielberg's 1993 Holocaust drama, along with an image of a train leading into Auschwitz. I'm actually sitting here looking at the leggings and there is a girl in a red coat and there is Schindler in the background and there is the train tracks to Auschwitz. You see the entrance of Auschwitz. Now, who in their right mind would wear these leggings? I just, I know that I don't get fashion, but you have to be a special kind of person to wear Holocaust leggings. Well, thankfully, Redbubble, the online design marketplace, restricted the sales of the Schindler's List leggings after the Jewish Telegraphic Agency reported that these leggings were going viral on the internet. Of course, because the internet loves to hate Jews, so why not sensationalize a pair of Holocaust leggings? They said they will restrict the design to be available only on wall art. So if you want a poster of these leggings, thank you, Redbubble, that is still available. You are too kind. You know, you just have to envision a scenario where somebody's wearing these Holocaust leggings and their friend's like, oh my gosh, cool leggings. Is that is that Auschwitz on your thigh? Like... I, there's, there's just, uh, all right, moving right along. Now, if this story left you stressed, you can always reach for a poppet. I'm sure you've seen poppets. They were all over the place not too long ago. They're still on sale here in Israel in, you know, random kiosks and stuff. Everybody was popping the poppet. And did you know that sure enough, the poppet was created here in Israel by a Tel Aviv couple, Theo and Ora Koster of Blessed Memory. Now, random fun fact about Theo, he actually was Anne Frank's classmate, and he documented his memories of growing up in Amsterdam. They were eventually turned into a documentary called Anne Frank's Classmates, and then into a book called We All Wore Stars. But back to the poppet. Now, if you ever had an idea for an invention and it just didn't take off, never fear, because the poppet concept was designed 50 years ago in 1970. By the way, 50 years ago in 1970. That's wild. Wow. When I said 50 years ago, I thought it was going to be in 1920. <laughs> in any case, the Costers actually passed away in 2019 and did not live to see their company's greatest hit, the Poppet, become the massive sensation that it is when their son sold it to a Canadian company that sold more than 7 million poppets in the last 18 months alone. Now, not only did the Costers create the poppet, they also created the game Zingo, which I'm sure you know, as well as Guess Who? And this is actually the best part of the whole story. The Costers are buried in a cemetery in Tel Aviv under headstones designed to look like the flip-up frames of a Guess Who board. I love it. I feel like I have to see it to understand exactly. Like, do the headstones flip up and down? Um, is there a picture of them? Is there a question mark? <laughs> wow, that's quite a, quite a concept, but okay, cool. They deserve to be recognized posthumously for their contribution to our children's lives. 
Now we're 11 minutes and 36, 37 seconds, 38. We're halfway through the podcast and I didn't even tell you once to share this podcast, mostly because I know you don't know how to share podcasts. The truth is that word of mouth is a podcast's best friend. So if you have a friend who's been listening to all these self-help podcasts and they're still not becoming a better person, just tell them to stop. Stop listening to people. Give them advice on marriage and life and parenting and all that. Just listen to Hanala's Baba Mises and you will become a better person because you will feel happier. And really, the secret to being a better person is just being happier. I've never known a truly happy person that is happy because somebody on a podcast told them to be happy. I personally don't care about your self-growth. I just want you to like my podcast, share it so that my podcast could grow. Did I just say that out loud? I did, didn't I? Okay, let's talk chocolate. Everybody is panicking because there has been salmonella found in Strauss products, chocolate bars and puddings and ice creams and cookies and other stuff that have been pulled off the shelves all over the world. And Jewish people are in absolute panic. I don't under—I I don't understand this, and I'll tell you why. We just got off a Yom Tif where everybody was pounding pounding chocolate cookies and all kinds of sugary sweet manufactured preservative full products and now you're feeling nauseous <laughs> like could it be because you have indigestion or you gained 30 pounds over yumptif i think there's like this panic that every ache and pain is strauss's fault but maybe you shouldn't be eating so much sugar to begin with just a thought but back to the salmonella for a second so strauss has revealed that some of their products have salmonella bacteria inside I, we just survived coronavirus. Like, are you kidding me? Salmonella? Like you were going to get a stomachache? I would get a stomachache for eating chocolate. I would make that sacrifice for my chocolate. I'm just saying. I'm one of those people who didn't wear a mask either. And, you know, so don't take any advice from me. If you have those products in your house, promptly throw them in the garbage. But unless you are elderly, and by the way, if you're listening and you are elderly, thank you for increasing my elderly demographic. Or have a autoimmune issue. It's just a stomachache, for goodness sake. One and a half people are in the hospital. I don't know what the panic is. Gamze Yavor. Strauss actually set up a hotline where if you have Strauss products, you can get twice your money back as soon as somebody picks up the phone, which if you live here in Israel, you know is never. Okay, it's time for an actual joke. And I made up this joke myself. So feel free to laugh enthusiastically and share it with friends. What could you get in Israel for 395 shekel? 50 cent. Okay, let me explain (laughs) Once you have to explain a joke, it's just like, I could go back and delete. But you know, we'll just let this go because maybe one person left, like my mother or my father, and that's worthwhile. So 50 Cent is a Grammy-winning rapper, African-American. He will be here in Tel Aviv's Menorah Miftachim Arena on July 4th. Tickets have sold out for the first show so quickly, they actually had to do a second show. I am so confused because rapping is all about the lyrics. Like, it's not about the melody or the orchestra. So how do Israelis who pretend not to understand the words coming out of my American mouth, suddenly have the need to pay 350 shekel to listen to 50 Cent jump around on stage rapping in English about all kinds of narishkeiten. I don't understand. But then again, there are people wearing Holocaust leggings, so who knows? Let's talk about a rapper that is worth much more than 50 Cent. This guy is going to be worth many millions of dollars after HBO Max develops Motherland Bounce, a comedy based on the life of Hasidic hip-hop star Neeson Black. Now, at first I was like, what? Neeson Black is doing comedy? And then I remembered that when I went to Florida, I saw his family in the airport. They had been in Florida the same time as we were, and he was with all his kids. And that, my friends, right there was a comedy show. There were six kids, Kanai Nahara, super, super cute, and 
and they were just online and like every other Jewish family in the airport, completely unraveling as the line got longer. <laughs> Benissim, super chill. He did not get nervous. I actually met him on the flight on the way out. I've actually met him a number of times. My husband works with him and he lives in my neighborhood. But on the way off the airplane, I saw him and I picked up my phone and I said, hey, we're just landing in Israel and I want you all to know that there is a superstar on our flight. And I said, Nisim, tell him who it was. And he looked at me and he said, Hanala. That's right. And I posted that on Instagram. And for some reason, that reel has 100,000 views. So thank you, Nisim Black, for making me a drop more famous. Well, not famous enough to get my own TV show, which Nisim is getting. Motherland Bount is going to be the story of Nisim Black's spiritual quest as the former gangster rapper becomes the world's first black Hasidic Jewish hip-hop star. So that's cool. I'm really happy for him and his family and his wife. I have no doubt that he's going to make a Kiddush Hashem. And Nisim, if you are listening and you need a guest star, you know where I live. Now, speaking of Nisim Black's music, you can start with Havana Gila or any song, but Havana Gila actually helps me transition to my next story. So let's go with Havana Gila. Did you know that in Salt Lake City, there are about 65 Hundred Jews, and of those 6,500 Jews, 6.5 of them are Utah Jazz basketball fans. And those 6.5 people were at a game, and they noticed that Havana Gila would be played every single time the team would score. And they were like so confused because what is the connection between the Utah Jazz basketball team and Havana Gila? Turns out there is no connection. It's just a random thing that happened and for some reason there are people who are criticizing that and saying why would you appropriate Jewish music and take something that is not culturally yours and use it for your liking it's just wrong honestly I don't think the person who wrote the song Havana Gila cares I don't think the 6.5 people who attend those games actually care the only reason I found the story interesting is because I realized I don't know what Havana Gila is even about but it means let us rejoice and be glad it was such a popular Zionist song that it was actually banned in certain Arab countries which means that you will not go to a basketball game in an Arab country and hear Havana Gila if you want that zchus, you have to go to Salt Lake City and be a jazz fan I just want to wrap out the lyrics of Nisim Blast so you could just see the creativity here, okay? Hava, Hava Nagila, yeah. Hava, Hava, Hava Nagila, yeah. I know they're like. Hava, Hava Nagila. Oh no, we didn't. Hava, Hava, Hava Nagila, yeah. And I'm like, Hava, Hava Nagila. Yes, we did. Hava, Hava, Hava Nagila, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Hava, Hava Nagila. Yes, we did. Hava, Hava, Hava Nagila. Written by Nisim Black. I'm just teasing. There's actually some really great lyrics. I could read those for you if you promise to share this podcast. <laughs> All right, here we go. Back on my shtees, rapping, unwrapping the beat, and it happens to be I see how they reach into me. I stay running from drama, but everybody I know and they mama got burning questions on the table. They want answers if I'm able. Mr. Blackie got a caption on Mr. Cannon and the Jacksons. Did you read Willie on Twitter? Shut the feed, none of them considered. They may be strong, but I am bigger, so move on, I won't listen. I work for the boss, so I'm gonna win, cause he rigged it. All of it's predicted. I ghost ride, then I whipped it. Speeding on him, no tickets. God touched me, so I'm gifted. I got plans to make him dance. I come here to make him move. I know it feels familiar, but this is a brand new groove. And then he just sings Havana Gila over and over. So yeah, that's my cover. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Weekly Squeeze podcast at the end. I'm just kidding. We got more. We got more. Now, if nothing scares you more than getting on a highway in Israel in your rent-a-car Try to imagine what it might be like to fly a robo-taxi. You heard me right. Okay, let me give you the squeeze of what will be flying in the air here besides missiles. Thank you, Palestinians. That's right. The pen taxi 
is an electrical vertical takeoff and landing craft that will be available in cargo and four passenger models able to carry up to 400 kilos for 320 kilometers at a speed of 150 miles per hour. So this robotaxi was invented by Yair Dubister and his colleagues at a Netanya-based Israeli startup, which is setting the stage for the world's first pilotless flying robotaxi. Now, there are so many thoughts flying through my head when I think about traffic in the air over Israel. First of all, what happens like when it's Yom HaShoah or Yom HaZikaron and there's a siren? Do we get out of our taxis? <laughs> right? Something to think about. Also, what is the point of taking a taxi in Israel if you can't talk to the cab driver? These uh, robo-taxis are going to be pilotless. So why would you take a taxi if you can't have that experience of being yelled at, uh, ripped off, um, and blessed by an Israeli taxi driver? So the whole thing, I, I, don't, I personally don't think this is a worthwhile investment. I think people like Israeli taxis, they like the Mercedes, they like the risk factor, not knowing if the taxi driver will deliver you safely to your destination or murder you in his village. So will this take off? I mean, it will take off. Will it succeed? Who knows? Now, this week is Schlisselchala week. That means you might be baking challah while you're listening to my podcast and finding a rusty key to fold into your challah dough because that will make you rich. Did it make you rich last year? No. Did it make you rich the year before? No. But we're going to try again because we're Jews and we pay a lot of tuition. So, you know, it's worth the shot. Now, I don't personally bake challah and I'm embarrassed to admit that. And the reason I don't bake challah is because I'm just so bad at it. And there's such delicious challah in the bakery. And if everyone would bake challah, who would buy the challah in the bakery? And the baker's wife also needs a successful husband, so I'm actually doing a mitzvah. And I know that baking challah is a beautiful thing, and kol if you are baking challah, we have some wonderful role models, like the lady from the All She Needs, Needs, Needs is challah dough song. She's a great role model. And now we have a, another wonderful challah baking sensation, Mandelicious challah. Now, everyone has the most perfect challah recipe you've ever tasted in your whole life, but Mandy Silverman is just next level. She has 350 unique challahs in her repertoire, different shapes, flavors, colors, and themes. And she shares her challah baking on Instagram. Her last post was a chocolate brownie stuffed challah braid that goes deliciously with your chocolate flavored chatilim and matbucha. <laughs> so Mandy has these amazing recipes. She uses salami, buffalo chicken, caramelized onions, brisket, and she even created a special pumpkin spice turkey shaped challah in 2013 when Hanukkah and Thanksgiving overlapped. You can check out her Instagram page. It's very inspiring. She posts every single week at Mandelicious Challah. Maybe I'll use one of her recipes and remember to include all the ingredients, which I forgot to do the last time I made challah. Turns out you cannot make challah if you forget to add the water. <laughs> you can make challah crumbs, but not actual dough. That's right. So I don't know if that little that's right is getting annoying or not, but I'm going to play a few more options from the Tia sound bank that I could potentially use in the podcast. And then, you know, that way I'll slowly ease you into something a little different. We don't want to just hear the same, that's right, clip over and over because, you know, it gets old. That's right. So let's see what we have here. It's the queen, y'all. Oh, that's cute. It's the queen, y'all. Uh, maybe we can use that when we talk about my new releases, like the medley acapella that I put out this week, or when Sphere is over and I'm promoting Shabbos Queen again, or anything related to my music. I could just be like, it's a queen, y'all. That's right. 
Okay, let's see what else you got. Make my own dough. Don't ask nobody for nothing. Make my own dough. Well, like I just told you, I actually don't make my own dough, so we'll skip that one. What? 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 Okay. <laughs> I'm getting carried away here. Yes, yes, y'all. And we don't stop. Well, we should stop. So I'm going to stop with this and just stick to, maybe we'll add the queen one to the repertoire and we're definitely going to leave the, that's right. That's right. Okay. I'm going to share something a little personal now. Now, if you listen to my podcast on a regular basis, you're definitely going to get to know me on a deeper level. Is that a bribe? Perhaps. But in any case, I have the most amazing mother-in-law ever. I actually call her Ima. She has the same name as me, so it would be weird if I called her by that. But I call her Ima because she's like a mother to me and she's a seamstress and she sews stuff for me. So she's also like a grandmother to me and a free seamstress and just a wonderful person who has helped me in my marriage. Because while there have been moments where I might have left my husband, I would never get divorced from my mother-in-law. So It's the queen, y'all. She really is a queen. But Feller has an article out helping mother-in-laws who maybe don't have such an incredible daughter-in-law like myself be better mother-in-laws so that, you know, the family dynamic has less fighting and more listening and more open-mindedness. Here are their suggestions. When it comes to food, there should be no cooking and baking critiques. Now, I don't have that problem because every time my mother-in-law comes to my house, she brings her own food. We made a barbecue last week and my mother-in-law literally brought everything. Now, the fact that I am not so amazing in the kitchen, is that a factor? I don't know. It could just be a coincidence, but my mother-in-law brings her own food, Bukharian, rice, potatoes, whatever she might feel like eating when she has dinner in my house. And that's working out great. But if you are a mother-in-law or you have a mother-in-law that you're going to be sending this podcast to, don't criticize your daughter-in-law's food unless your son is wasting away. And considering what most of my peers' husbands are looking like as they approach their 40s, I don't think anyone is starving. Now, another tip that Feller offers is don't guilt your children to come to you for yumptif. Now, my mother-in-law has a very small apartment where... I have to stand for Yom HaShoah. Okay, sorry about that. I, I Well, I'm not sorry about that. I'm sorry for the Holocaust, and I'm sorry for the fact that we live in a country where there are people who think uh, we shouldn't be here after all the Jewish people have been through. But part of living in Eretz Israel is having your heart drop when you hear a siren and then realizing it's to commemorate the six million Jews that were killed and the land that is available now for Jews all over the world to seek refuge and live safely, happily ever after, so far as the cockroaches don't get in our way. But back to mother-in-laws. Let's talk about mother-in-laws and babies. Now, I have a Sephardi mother-in-law, so you can only imagine the pressure she puts on me every single time she sees me when she says, Bezrat Hashem, Shana Ba, Ben Zachar. And I laugh and I say, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
But, you know, the pressure is there. Babies are a very touchy subject for in-laws to get into, and it should be completely off-limits. The only time I want to hear you talk about my babies is when you are offering to babysit them or buy them something. Otherwise, I am still raising one of your babies, so mind your own beeswax. Now, another sensitive subject for mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws are gifts. Now, my mother-in-law has such a beautiful minhag that every single yomtif, she buys her daughter-in-laws a gift. She has two daughter-in-laws, and she lets us know beforehand that she's going to the store to buy us something, and what do we want? Now, the first few years, it was so awkward, because when somebody asks you, what do you want as a gift? Like, what do you say? I'm like, no, I don't need anything. I'm good. But now, I got smart, and I'm like, I don't want another mug. I actually need a radio. <laughs> so I tell my mother-in-law explicitly what I need and where she could find it, always with a bar of chocolate. I've never gotten salmonella, maybe because she gives the package with so much love that it destroys any bacteria possibly in the chocolate bar. But this is my mother-in-law's gesture. If your mother-in-law asks you what you want as a gift, tell her. As a matter of fact, send her the Amazon link. And if your mother-in-law doesn't buy you a gift, even better. That's what your husband's for. It's not your mother-in-law's job to bribe you to stay married to him. It's your husband's job to bribe you to stay married to him. Over and over. Thank you, Tia. I don't even need a podcast co-host after all. Okay, so bottom line is we all want to be the best in-laws we can be. And there is no manual on how to do it or how to do it well. Follow your heart. Use common sense. Make a choices. Don't be insensitive. And cut your mother-in-law some slack because she's married to your father-in-law. I don't know your father-in-law. I just know mine. <laughs> Okay, my husband told me last week he stops listening to my podcasts halfway, so he for sure didn't hear that. And if he did, my father-in-law is awesome. He's a tzaddik nistar. He's so hidden, even Hashem can't find him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My father-in-law is taka a tzaddik. So again, this is just podcast humor. Don't take it to the bank. I have a wonderful mother-in-law and a wonderful father-in-law, and they should live and be well. Manta, if you're listening, you guys are awesome too. I'll call you in a minute, and I will flatter you, and we'll dedicate an entire episode to you guys. I'm Ritz Hashem next week. I'm just working on a few more things in therapy, and then I gotcha. Okay, let's talk about Instagram. I was advised by someone not to bring up the decal disaster. I don't know if it's decal or decal, but I, I want to bring it up for a specific reason. Uh, I'm sure you heard that there was a counter cover fiasco this Pesach where a number of influencers, including Racy's Cooking, Shay Chaya, um, the comic cook, and more, promoted a counter cover. They showed how to put it on and they encouraged their followers to buy this Pesach counter cover that was easily applied and easily removable. Well, it turns out it wasn't easily removable and that left a whole bunch of influencers scratching their heads and their counters when they realized after Yamsif that the counter covers we're leaving a sticky, nasty residue. Now, in the influencer's defense, how are they to know? They are shown a product that looks good, that comes from a firm company, that seems to work perfectly when they apply it for the few hours that they apply it. And then three weeks later, it's a problem. You can't expect influencers to try a product for three weeks and then tell you that it's great. So I don't think this is such a tremendous deal. These things happen. Personally, I think people are getting carried away with Pesach. Like you don't need your counters to look like granite on Pesach. Your kitchen is supposed to look like a space station, or in my case, a glad garbage bag factory, because I used a bright green sticky counter cover that went on like a disaster, but came off beautifully. So that's great. And who really cares anyway what your kitchen looks like on Pesach, especially if you're in a hotel? <laughs> 
Honestly, there was not a whole lot of Instagram news, mostly because people were not online. I actually have a theory that the reason the views on Instagram drop during Pesach is because people are not using the bathroom as much. And that is where most of us, let's not get ourselves taken Instagram. So now that people are back to eating bread and their digestive systems are back to normal and everyone's online again, I don't like thinking about that, which is why I'm moving slowly into the podcast phase of my career because nobody listens to podcasts in the bathroom. They listen in their cars or in their kitchens. But if you're listening to the podcast, well, maybe when you're taking a bath, which is fine, uh, so long as you don't drop your phone into the bathtub. But yeah, there's not so much going on online, which is fine because it is spring. And that means that people are out and they are about wherever you live, whether it be in Canada or Israel, the trees are blossoming, the buds are blooming, and the beautiful season of spring is upon us. So go outside, take a walk, listen to the podcast on your earphones and enjoy the few weeks that we have before it becomes blazing hot pretty much everywhere in the world. Thank you so much for subscribing, liking, and leaving a five-star review on the Weekly Squeeze podcast. We will see you next week.